You know, the world's a very different place than it was just two and a half years ago. The whole economy is being shut down, the whole COVID thing, supply chains, couldn't get supply stuff. Everything got really kind of messed up. But also, what's shaping tomorrow? We got labor issues. We've got now high interest rates. We've got input costs that are sort of all over the place. Trends are shaping today and tomorrow's agriculture. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, thanks for joining us on another fantastic episode of Extreme Ash Cutting the Curve. It's me, Damian Mason, ready to give you a really cool discussion on the outlook for our industry. We're talking to Trey Curtis. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Concept Agritech. He's been around this game for quite some time. He started his company 12 years ago, but he's also a farm kid from, uh, I think, Missouri, but maybe Arkansas. I always get confused. Either way, last time I saw Trey was in Arkansas. We were uh, at Matt Miles Farms and said, you know what? You're a sharp dude. Let's talk about the trends that you see that are shaping our industry today and then obviously for tomorrow also what's changed from just as recently as one decade ago trey curtis thanks for being here hey thank you very much damien okay um we uh in our preparation you came back and said you gave me a nice little email you said i'm thinking about three things that i think are really different today and uh than they were just a year or two ago let's start off with biologicals um man they're all over the place uh we talk about it, you and I, I think when we were in the field there in McGee, Arkansas, said, you know, when I was a kid, if you just said, oh, we got this stuff called bunch of bugs, we're going to go out here and dump it on the field. You'd be like, what the hell is a bunch of bugs? What is this? And it's one of your biological products. They sell, they work, we use them. We've trialed them here with Extreme Ag. So what's that whole world look like? 20 years ago, we didn't have biologicals like this. Yeah, I, I know, Damien. And, and first, I'll, I'll correct you. I am from Arkansas. I just happen to live in Missouri. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Northern transplant. Um, but, uh, no, you know, it's funny. We started the company in 2010 and in 2011, we actually launched, started testing our first biological product. And at that time, even myself, you know, being a farm boy from Arkansas, working in ag retail, working for, uh, some of the basic manufacturers, the first thing I told the guy that, that introduced me to him was like, this is a bunch of snake oil. I'm, yeah. I'm not selling this junk. And, and he said, well, just try it. And he, and he, he gave me the science behind it. And, and I'll never forget Daniel Hensley, who's our, uh, our VP of agronomy. And also now he's become our president. Uh, the first time we ever even tried it, we pulled some soil tests and uh, lo and behold, we were just shocked at the phosphorus uh, the available phosphorus on the soil test almost doubled. And so we called the biologist and go, hey, you're not going to believe this. The uh, phosphorus level almost doubled. He goes, well, yeah, you dum-dums. What did you think was going to happen when I added 12 phosphorus-releasing bacteria strains? And we're like, 
maybe we're onto something. So, you know, 11 years ago, we really launched that Bunch of Bugs product, really got uh, more into the organic acids and the things that I always call a snake oil personally. But at the end of the day, if they worked, they worked. Uh, the thing about it is, is for years, you know, people kept calling our stuff snake oil, made fun of the name. And then slowly at trade shows, you started seeing another biological company and then another one and another one. And, and 11 years ago, it was like us and maybe one other company. Yeah. Now, when you go to the Commodity Classic, Farm Progress Show, um, you know, Farm Machinery Show, any of them, yeah. there's 20 or 30 biological companies there. Yeah. Uh, even the big boys have gotten into biologicals. I just well, that's read the thing is that, stuff. you know, you go back, you know, in the old days, you know, it was, uh, you had more chemical companies back then. There has been consolidation in that. And there was a, you know, it was all chemistry. And so we, we heard about biologicals, I don't know, way, way back when, about the same thing that like, what the heck is this? This is all made up, right? So there's a level of acceptance now, because again, when the, when the big companies then are trying to buy small companies to take to, to acquire their technology, there must be something to this, right? So all of a sudden there's an acceptance that uh, maybe not some of the real closed-minded types, but the progressive smart, you know, people that listen to extreme ag, they're like, Hey man, there's something here. There's some real thing here. When did that happen? Five years, 10 years ago? You know, it really happened about six or seven years ago when Monsanto Bioag came out with the first biological. They bought a biological company and started pushing it. And it literally took us from this crazy snake oil bunch of nut, you know, right. jobs over to, hey, these are the most progressive guys out there. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, it took one of the big strategics to really put biology on the map. And, you know, and I still think it's really funny. Today, you'll have someone that goes, oh, that biology is a bunch of hocus pocus. And then I'll go, what college did you go to? And they'll be saying, Texas A&M. Did they have a biological department? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you go tell them they're a bunch of crazy nut, jet, nut jobs too? So. so I think that's probably not completely accepted. I mean, there's, there's some there's some people in ag that probably still don't believe it, but I'm we're seeing the results. Obviously, that's what we're doing here at Extreme Ag. We're trialing this stuff, and they, these guys must know what something, you know, they're pretty successful. The thing about it is <clears throat> I actually think it's the next wave of ag, okay, we, we stumbled around for 9,900 of ag's 10,000 year history without making a whole hell of a lot of forward progress, right? You know, and about 100 years ago, hybridization, mechanization, you know, instead of a, a guy on the end of a, a hoe, you had machines, and then we hybridized stuff, and then came chemistry. So it's like we did a whole bunch of stuff just starting about 100 years ago to today. I think biologicals then are the next thing, you know, mechanization, hybridization, chemical, then biology. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I was farming, you know, it was the 4840s and 4760s John Deere tractors. And if you compare those 30 years ago to the combines and tractors we have now, it's not right. even, it's the difference in daylight and dark. But when you compare fertility products, you know, up and just to a few years ago they're basically the same and that's really when what we did at concept agritech is how do we bring technology to the fertility business mm -hmm. and and yes we created technologies for npks and micronutrients to make them more efficient and effective 
but also bringing the biology into the organic acids, the PGRs and, and, and so on, because, you know, for, you know, I find it funny that everybody now has a nitrogen fixing bacteria and they can decrease their nitrogen. And we've been doing that for 11 years. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so it's, it's not news to us. It's just news to everybody else. Your point is, is well taken that we've got, <clears throat> when you think about it, um, yeah, if you said, all right, go out there and use the same machines that we used just 20 or 30 years ago, you'd be like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I saw a John Deere 4400 combine sitting somewhere in my travels here in the last week, and it it, it reminded me of, like, going to the antique tractor parade. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that, it's that foreign. And so we've got so these advancements, but on crop inputs maybe we haven't evolved nearly to you know the way the machines have and that uh is where biologicals come in so in the future <clears throat> will we end up seeing consolidation as the question then does all of a sudden biologicals sort of be like chemistry where there's four great big companies that are the monoliths out here is that what is that what happens because it tends to be less um shall i say less innovation come out of the great bigs right yeah, there, there really is, to be honest with you. And I do think you'll see a lot of, you can't continue to have 30 or plus biological companies in the United States all competing for the same thing. Uh, the ones that have the best stuff will probably end up being gobbled up if they desire to. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's also about, you know, uh, the, the next innovation. I mean, we came out three years ago with a biological fungicide, an amaticide, an insecticide. And, and, and now here comes another one or two or three of those, you know, it's always kind of following suit. So I do think you see a lot more, but also the acceptance of it has to grow just because of, you know, runoff from phosphorus over fertilization and things like that. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you get down into the Gulf of Mexico, hypoxy down there. We had the same thing in the Great Lakes. You have the same things and in, in regulations of of how much dry NP and K you can put out specifically in waterways. And those, those regulations are only getting tougher and tougher for the farmers. The farmer is going to have to find ways to reduce his inputs of dry fertilizer. And luckily, biology gives you a, a really good biology source, will give you a great tool in the toolbox to be able to do that. All right, so that's another one of the points you want to make. And you know, you just talked about one reason why we're going to see this. It could be because of regulation, <clears throat> and and uh, we don't necessarily like that. But you know, we we almost we were faced with waters of the U.S. You know, so many years ago, lots of things that impact agricultural production um, from a regulatory environment, <clears throat> and we would prefer to not have too much of that. But that could be the reason. Also, just raw cost. You know, for a long time, fertilizer was so inexpensive. The answer was fling more on it. You, you know, uh, you got good soil samples. Oh, it don't matter. Just Put more stuff out there and when we started talking here a couple of years ago about doubling the price of fertilizer you got to get more judicious and that's ultimately better for the environment and it makes you a better farmer when you have to be more judicious with your fertilizer because you're putting it where it needs to be you know more more um shall i say concise and precise what's that going to do to your business what's that going to do to all of us if these prices remain elevated on fertilizer you know, I, I literally got this question last week uh, on a conference call is how has the high, you know, fertilizer prices affected your business? To be honest with you, it's affected in a very positive way. 
Um, our business, you know, Damien is up 70% this year for a company that's 12 years old. That's a pretty good increase. Yeah. And one of the things is, is, is just, just brand awareness. But the other one is guys are literally this year. We're going, how do I decrease my input costs? How do I control my costs? Well, our customers just take nitrogen, nitrogen, for example, for years, been able to use 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 you know, uh, pounds of nitrogen per, per bushel of corn. Yeah. Well, forever it was like one to 1.2. Some of the yeah. universities still recommend one to 1.2. Right. Our people are using way less half than that. Yeah. And they're half using that. half that, using half that and still we're not sacrificing yield. So that's no, a actually our yields are going up because yeah. to be honest with you, when you get too much nitrogen, specifically nitrogen and to potassium, and I don't want to get too technical here. I'll let my agronomist do that. But <laughs> What we found out is if we could put more potassium on, specifically liquid available potassium and the biology, then we were able to reduce our nitrogen inputs and increase our yield. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just really cool, but it's, it's, it's greatly helped our business out. Yeah. So that's, and then you'd say, okay, that was cost that did it, not regulatory. But then you also mentioned things like the Great Lakes. That's a big deal. I'm in Indiana. I'm not too far from the Ohio border. That whole thing started about a decade or so ago that Lake Erie's got this algae bloom and it's because of overusage of phosphates out here in the, in the agricultural area. Um, Ag did get the blame, and probably rightly so. And I'm not, I'm not certainly, you know, blaming anybody. But it's, it's where did it come from? And so we're going to see this probably all over the country, aren't we, Trey? A, uh, where we get a bullseye put on our back whenever there's an environmental issue, and then it's like, okay, we're going to have to react. You know, our friend Temple Roads out in Maryland says we've been doing this for 30 years with the whole Chesapeake Bay watershed. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the more we've grown, specifically up in the Upper Northeast. Uh, up around the Great Lakes, you know, I, I, the customers, the new customers are going, so you've got something that can increase my phosphorus availability, because at the end of the day, like if you go to Ohio, you're close to the, the, the lakes, yeah. if your parts per million are over 20 on phosphorus, you can't put that down. Yeah. Well, if you're trying to make 300 bushel corn, you need more than 20 parts per million normally, or you're going to suck a bunch of it out. So, uh, the neat thing is, is when you're using a whole bunch of strains of biology of uh, phosphorus releasing biology, and you can increase that level on the soil test, will automatically your dry recommendation goes down. So it's been a it's been a win win for us. It's been a win win for our customers and in the environment. Uh we talked about the John Deere 4400 combine of 1970s uh, to today and how much advancements we've had there. And we've said <clears throat> some of the crop inputs haven't evolved nearly as rapidly. We still are evolved or not to where like the machines have. But there's one area that is pretty neat to me about the machines. Automation is coming. And you and I both would probably agree on that. And then also, I've been saying forever, equipment's going to get smaller and more precisely deployed. And that brings me to drone technology. A company like yours probably uses it. Obviously, agricultural input people use it. Big trend shaping tomorrow's agriculture, drones. Where do you see it going? Uh, yeah, it's it's been a game changer for us. Uh, you know, we've always talked about what our products can do, um, you know, but seeing is believing. So if, if I have a product that, um, say, take BioHealth, for example, which uh, 
you know, gives you season long plant health so that the plant can actually defend itself against stresses. Because uh, we always talk about stress mitigation. You know, I always hear that on extreme ag about stress mitigation, stress mitigation. But when I can take our, our drone and get, you know, NDVI imagery of plant health or climate, for example, or other, other ways of doing that satellite imagery, I meant proofs in the pudding. I mean, you know, so I can take this map that shows, hey, my, my side is healthier than the competitor side or an untreated check. And then, oh, and at the end of the year, I can overlay that with a yield map. Um, it has just been astronomically fun for us to to be able to see those. It's helped sales, but also another thing it does it helps efficiencies. So, say we have a new product coming out, which we always do, and we're not exactly sure what the rate is. Well, literally, we have we're getting a brand new spray drone. So mm -hmm. we can take this spray drone and we can go just spray every five acres across the field at different rates, triple replicating them untreated. And then we can come back with satellite imagery on top of that. And then we can come back and do yield checks on top of that. It just is, a, again, a great tool for us and a great tool to the farmer to see what's working, you know, because I know when farmers get busy harvesting, they're harvested, right? I mean, I right. know that's what we want to do is let's harvest as fast as we can. Maybe a hurricane's coming, maybe a, right. a weather event's coming. We got to harvest and you can, darn it, I forgot to check that. Or maybe they don't have yield maps or maybe they don't get to the yield map. So it gives us a really good um, sight into what's going on out in the field and make sure that we're spending our money wisely to make sure we're spending our growers money wisely. So in the future, and I've talked to uh, one of my clients that I did some speaking for uh, is in the, the aerial application, you know, crop dusters. I've done some work with those different groups. And one of the guys says, um, I'm going to be one of the first people to start selling yellow planes because I think that we are going to go to autonomous uh, sprayers uh, as far as the aerial kind. Um, you know, when you think about it, you're putting a guy in a little machine that's like the size of a Volkswagen laden with all kinds of uh chemicals and pesticides and whatever else and they go up there and fly around that to try to not hit power lines it's a pretty dangerous job will we see spray drones replace i mean are we going to get to where we don't have people flying around in yellow airplanes and all all done automatically do you see that day coming here in the next decade or so you know i, I think technology always you know i think about the first flat screen tv i bought what was that thing three thousand dollars and now you can go to sam's and get it for like 200 bucks you know, <laughs> right. it's better and nicer and prettier so i do think that in time as the technology develops and the price actually probably comes down like you know everything else uh i think that you'll see the ability to do that the problem with spray drones right now is their capability of just getting over the acres and so specifically when you get down into to the mid-south where every acre almost is sprayed with an airplane yeah. you know they've got to cover acres now again when you get up into the upper midwest where the fields sometimes are smaller or or you know the middle midwest the northern missouri some places like that kentucky where you got lots of small fields oh yeah I mean, heck, a lot of those places in the, in the north, they can't even get an airplane to get up there. Yeah. So spray drones are really helpful. I know uh, several people that have started their own spray drone companies. And uh, I do think it's coming. I think it'll be a slower adaptation, specifically on the larger acres, the larger farmers, where they really got to cover ground. But, 
you know, every year, me being from Arkansas and, and you know, at any one time, you'll see three, four or five planes in the air. Uh, every year we lose a pilot, you know, he has a crash and we lose one. Uh, and it's sad to see. So uh, I hope the technology's there because uh, it, it is dangerous for those guys to be flying. I agree. The technology will get there, and for the, all the reasons you just mentioned. And then it's matter. It's matter of then once it gets critical mass, then it obviously becomes more affordable. I mean, you talked about your flat screen TV. I just reached over and grabbed my calculator that I went to Purdue with in 1988. That's my, that's my calculator. And I think it was expensive. Obviously it's everybody's got a, a calculator on their phone right now, but you know, this is the scientific calculator they told you to get to starting at Purdue in 1988. And I think it was like a hundred dollar calculator back then, but uh, I'll keep it on my desk. All right. Uh, so if you're listening to this, driving down the road, you have to check out the video so you can watch this dear listener. Um, <clears throat> Big trends shaping uh, agriculture today. We went through, never ever did we have this issue of not being able to get stuff. And obviously you're in the crop inputs business. Concept Agritech, you make stuff that we put on our fields and put on our crops. <clears throat> you don't make everything. You source stuff and then combine it, et cetera. So there was this thing of not being able to get raw ingredients. There was a thing about, I heard at some point we weren't going to be able to get jugs. I mean, it was just all kind of crazy stuff. And I'm not sure we're through the woods on that yet. What do you think that does as far as a trend for our industry? Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. I got to give a lot of credit to Donald Hamby, our operations manager, specifically on, um, you know, our inputs, our raws that we bring in to manufacture products, uh, specifically the jugs and the totes, like you, you mentioned. Um, you know, we got on it early last year. We bought um, a year's supply of totes and jugs of what we thought we would need a year in advance. I mean, right now, if you go down to Charleston, we have a five acre, you know, manufacturing facility and probably an acre of it is filled with jugs and another half acre is filled with totes and boxes because if we hadn't done that, we would have run out. And, and, and the thing is, it adds to some inefficiency, you know, JIT was the big thing 30 or so years ago, the old concept that J Japanese manufacturers pioneered uh, many years ago, just in time. And that's what everybody decided to do. Why would you sit on an acre and a half worth of plastic stuff? Your, your business isn't being a warehouse. Your business is selling crop inputs. Well, if you don't, if you don't sit on the stuff, you ain't got it. So it adds a, well, it ties up some of your money and it, it makes it so that you're maybe not as efficient, but you got to have the stuff. And I think that's going to probably be the case for a while. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're already, you know, have, have everything that we think we're going to need for the entire year based on our uh, sales estimates and increases. Uh, we've been buying raws, you know, just three years ago. I mean, we didn't buy raws in advance hardly at all. Yeah. Now we're buying raw, raw ingredients almost a year in advance, at yeah. least six months in advance. And, and you're right. It, it's a tough talk with your banker when you go, hey, I know this is tough on cash flow, but if we don't go ahead and get it, we're not going to have the inputs to be able to create the products that we need uh, in a timely manner. And, and I think farmers understand that too now. And, uh, you know, we're just getting in, just getting into getting ready for 2023. And I've never, ever in the 12 years we've been doing business, this will be our 13th year, had more farmers say, I want pricing. Can you give me pricing? What? You know, they're ready to lock stuff up. They're ready to buy it. They're ready to take delivery. Yeah. I've never had this happen. We normally ever put our price out till uh, October. And here uh, a few weeks ago, we were working diligently on trying to get it out, you know, by the middle of September. 
And uh, so I think farmers understand it as well. Yeah, and so they're sitting on more stuff and they're tying up capital. I mean, it's the same old thing, but you got to do it. So you have the stuff. Do you think this trend is with us for, I mean, is it just here and then a year from now we forget about it? Or is this, honestly, is this where the trend is taking us and we're going to be here? We're going to be where, where folks like you and then folks at the farm level have to sit on more inventory of stuff uh, because it's a, it's a dicey, it's a dicey world out there. Boy, I hope not. It is, it is not fun to have to do that. It's not fun for cash flow. Um, you know, but if you think about it, what about, you know, even before this tractors, right. Uh, combines, even before COVID they got to where you basically had to order your combine before you, you know, a year in advance. So, so the equipment industry was doing this even pre-COVID. Uh, is it going to set a precedence for the fertility business, for the seed business and all that? I don't know. I, I hope not, but, uh, but it definitely could. But one thing about it is once you get into that phase of, of cash flow and doing that, and then it kind of becomes a, a cycle, then it's not the end of the world. But, you know, I can promise you from our perspective, we are going to be very proactive in ordering early, making sure we have supply for our customers and that we don't run out when, the, when, when it's time to go. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about trend shaping agriculture today and tomorrow with Trey Curtis. Um, we, we talked about biologicals. We talked about drone, drone technology. We talked about what the increased cost of dry fertilizer are going to do. You know, animal manure is another concept on that. <clears throat> it always got used, but it seems like it's definitely being viewed more as a vital, important, valuable asset now because of that. Is that going to stay, is it, we're going we to have a new appreciation for that with this whole uh, elevated fertilizer costs? Oh, I think so. I, I definitely think so. Um, we've always seen great results, you know, being from Arkansas, we are, we love to chicken. make fields flat so we can water them and then put chicken manure and chicken manure and chicken manure. And, uh, and one of the neat things is going back to biology is if you put a very active biology on the manure, yeah. uh, you'll see a lot better response for the manure. It really releases it. And so instead of taking three years to some of it to release, in a year and a half, most all of it will be released. So, so it's really helping guys bump up their yields. But I think there's going to be different alternatives. Uh, you know, everybody's looking for a new alternative to fertility and stuff like that. And there's just going to be more innovation uh, there's a lot of uh, money going into it right now. As I talk to a lot of people in, in and outside our industry, they're really interested in investing into agriculture because they really believe that it's a, it's a great spot to stick your money. And I don't know if you've seen the stock market uh, this year, but it's been abysmal. Uh, a, a, a and so I think you have a lot of companies and outside investors saying, hey, let's get in on this technology. Let's help do this. And I think there's also a, a, a demand, too, from uh, environmentalists or environmental groups or just people that are wanting to help with the you know, environment of how can we be more friendly? Well, that's going to take technology. I mean, yeah. I just uh, read an article this weekend on a new uh, uh, weed control boom that literally sends electrical impulses when it sees a weed yeah. and kills the weed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hit the hit the plant. It hits I mean, it just hits the weed. It doesn't hit the crop. And you're like, wow, that's, that's really neat. That's, that's no herbicide at all. Yeah. Uh, and, so. and, you know, uh, there's a lot of money pouring in this. This is the one trend I guess I was going to go with. You talked about the trend that there's more companies that are out here nipping at your heels. You know, you've been around 12 years. There's probably 
been a bunch of companies that have just come online in the last couple of years that you can you you would be familiar with because they're out here trying to steal your <laughs> steal your market share, but you're still growing. The biological uh, trend. How long does it have? How long is that? I mean, I think it's the new. I think it's the new thing. Um, where are we? I guess. Where, are we on the ten yard line? Are we at the? Are we at the half field? Where are we on the biologicals in terms of that trend? Oh, I can tell you, it's just starting. I mean, the the amount that we know of soil biology, and I don't care who the smartest people in in the world are, is very small. Yeah. Um, you know, when we do tests and we find new new strains of biology that are in uh, that are native to the the the, the grasslands and the trees and things like that. And then we bring them back in and we, we grow them and we put them back in the field and then we see what they do. You're just like, wow, that that's really needed. And it's just, um, you know, you're just now getting this influx of a lot of money in mm-hmm. and money's going to re- create results. It's just like when they started, it said, we don't need a, need a tube TV anymore. Let's make a flat one. And then everybody threw their money into making a flat screen and look what we have now. I mean, you know, it's just um, absolutely amazing. We're at the beginning of it. Uh, but the things that we've learned in the last 11 years, I think, has really put Concept Agritech ahead of the curve. Yeah, and, and that's good for you. And, and uh, you know, there, there should be continual growth because you're an area that I think is the new frontier for ag. Uh, and that's one of our big trends. So anyway, uh, anything we didn't cover? Uh, we're talking about trends in agriculture today from your perspective. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of other things that we could talk about. I, I really think the forward thinking of people these days, just from what we've gone through the last few years, I mean, you and I were talking about it a few years ago. I didn't know what the word force majeure was, you know, until, until I had a bunch of product I thought locked up and then they go, Oh no, force majeure. I'm like, where's my French dictionary? Yeah. We, yeah. Same. There's a whole bunch of people, you know, me included. I, I, uh, we had, I had contracts where people were paying me to go and deliver speaking engagements at large corporate events. And then they said, yeah, we're not obligated to that. And I said, well, you got a contract. Yeah. Well, you know, if you force me, we all had to learn what that word meant. And yeah, like you said, stuff that I thought was, I thought we had a contract. I thought this was a done deal. Um, that's not a trend that we're going to probably still be. That was a, that's a time frame. I don't think it's a trend that shapes tomorrow's ag. Do you? No, I don't think it's a trend, but I do think it's something that people are now aware of. And 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 we'll have another hiccup here or there. Something will happen, you know, and yeah. it will create a similar, uh, you know, history always repeats itself. But hopefully we'll be ready for it when it does happen. Uh, you know, but again, technology in, uh, in, in the biological space is coming. It, it's here. Um, it's exciting and uh, we just want to make sure we stay on the forefront of it. Yeah, I think that's the, and that's the good ones we just talked about right there was uh, <clears throat> getting through all this. So trend shaping tomorrow and today, mostly tomorrow's agriculture talking with Trey Curtis. If people want to find out more about your company, they go to where? Go to www.conceptagritech.com. And that's Agritech with a K on the end of it, not a C-H. Concept Agritech with a K at the end of it.com. He's Trey. My name is Damian Mason. Till next time, thanks for being here, Trey. Thank you. Till next time, thanks for tuning in to Cutting the Curve and reminding you to please go and share these uh, episodes, all these awesome podcasts and videos that we've done on farms and at the different events. Share them with someone that can benefit from this. That's why we're here to help you up your farming game and shorten your learning curve. Till next time. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. 
Check out ExtremeAg.farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.